Well, good morning, Victory Midtown. One more time, if you're glad to be in church, can you put your hands together and thank God right now? Come on, just says don't do it because I'm asking you. Do it because you are excited to be in the house of the Lord. Listen, I'm glad to be here with you today, and for all of those who are worshiping with us online, we welcome you into the house here at Victory Midtown. And before I jump into the message, I just have to take a moment to celebrate how good God is. I don't know about y'all, but even during the worship, yeah, you can, she's already, I'm, I'm happy by myself. <laughs> happy by myself. But what I want to specifically thank God for is, number one, uh, as we were going through worship, we have to always make sure that we worship God with fresh eyes. That we never just come into a church and just say, okay, God, because they're playing music, I'm just going to stand here and be a spectator. But I'm thankful that the power of God is resident right here with us. Can y'all thank God for me with that? And then the other thing that I want to say is that what a blessing it is for us to be able to witness a father baptizing his son right here in the house. Come on, give God praise for that. Thankful for you. Thankful for you as we model the goodness of God. Well, listen, as we are in week two of this series called The Gospel, uh, it's a very exciting time. And as Pastor Tad just said, uh, many people, many churches, they observe what's called Lent, preparing themselves for Resurrection Sunday as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But one of the ways that we're actually preparing ourselves and we're celebrating and preparing for Easter, for Resurrection Sunday, is by going through this series called The Gospel. And I want you just to pray with me for a moment, because... What I'm actually going to deliver today, I really feel like I have a two-pronged burden, and I want to share that with you. The first part of my burden that I want to share with you is that I've been praying, even in corporate prayer this morning, we pray that today we all will receive a fresh encounter with God. Now, people say that kind of as a cliche and, you know, get a little hand clap, but what I'm saying is I believe that we can get a fresh encounter with God because we will gain more understanding about who he is and what he has done for us. And so as we do that, we want to make sure that we keep the awe that we're supposed to have with God and not just make him a regular kind of side thing that we actually deal with. Amen? And then number two, the second part of the burden that I want you to be praying into with me is that after we end this series, that we all, each and every one of us, that we're solidified in our relationship with Christ. That we gain a deeper understanding that we're not just guessing and that we're not scared if someone asks us about who God is to us and that we can share our testimony. The reason I say that is because, and the reason I have this burden, is because if we're honest, if people were to come up to you and ask you, hey, are you a Christian? Yes, you would say yes, and many of us would be able to say, yes, you know, I, I dedicated my life to my Lord and Savior. He died on the cross for my sins. And that would be kind of where we keep it. It's almost like an Easter speech. Jesus died for you and me. So I can be all I can be. <laughs> you know, that, that's good, but it's not the completeness of how I think God wants us to see him. And so today, as we go through this, I want to make sure that we don't just have an incomplete response. I want to make sure that we're able to lean into what God has for us and we're able to deeply walk with him and experience him in a new way. Because if we're not able to deeply walk with him in that way, what we'll find ourselves, because we're not confident in speaking about who God is, we will keep this gospel to ourselves. We will have a selfish, self-help gospel, and that's not God's intent. He desires for us to be witnesses and to go out and share this. Amen? And so what we're venturing to do in this series is just to walk through some scriptures because we want you to know who you are and whose you are. We want you to be able to share this good news. We want you to be able to, when you quote scriptures, you're able to speak with confidence with those scriptures that you're quoting. 
And so I'm going to give us some practice. We're going to start off by quoting a scripture together as kind of our launching pad for this series. And I want you to, if you have not downloaded the YouVersion Bible app, it is very uh, uh, important that you do that today because I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures. Somebody say a lot. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures today, not just to, you know, go through the message, but so that we can get understanding. Because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's not just talking about you audibly hearing. Sometimes you have to rehearse it for yourself to make sure you're able to get founded in it. So they're going to put this scripture on the screen. It's the, the founding scripture for this series, and it's Romans 1.16. I want us to read it all together. It's going to be the NIV on the screen. Let's read it together. One, two, three. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now, as we say this, and if we hear that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, I think we ought to have an understanding of what the gospel is. I think it's important for us to know what the gospel is. And very clearly, Pastor Johnson, he kicked us off last week, and he just gave a simple definition of the gospel, that it is the good news. If you've never heard that before, I need you to write that down. The gospel is the good news. And so as we understand that the gospel is the good news, we've been talking about emancipating greatness. We've been talking about the fact that we were all made for something great. And as we talk about emancipating greatness, this year we have a focus on our mission of God, which is to be witnesses. We've heard, you've heard me say that many times. A witness is a representative, a representative. And you can't be a good witness if you have not had a good experience. You can't be a good witness and tell somebody about something that you really have not digested so that you're able to share it. And so as representatives, as witnesses, we are charged to go out and tell people what we've seen and heard so that they can come now and experience what we've seen and heard. And what I'm thinking about today is that I want to ask you this question that I've been asking myself all week, and they're going to put it on the screen. It's like my first interrogative question for you. The question is this, am I a dependable witness? Am I a dependable witness? What does that mean? Can I articulate this good news? If someone was to ask me, I'm not talking about arguing somebody down to get them to come to the faith. I'm talking about your life lives in such a way that when they ask you, what do you have? You're able to speak back. I have Jesus and I can tell you about him. And so I want to ask the question, can we confidently really talk about this good news and unashamedly, like Romans 1 says, really declare what this gospel is? Now, here it is. Last week, Pastor Johnson, he talked about this. He said that we were going to deal with the breadth and the beauty of the gospel. He talked about this meta-narrative, which is just a word to say it's the cosmic story of God. It's the amazing story of God that started before you came and is going to continue after we go on to be to heaven. And so as he talked about this cosmic story, the breadth and the beauty of God, he talked about the story of creation, the fall, redemption, and our restoration. And so that's kind of what we call the gospel in the air. It's all around us. Everywhere we go, we're impacted by this gospel, but today I'm going to deal with the depth of the gospel, the depth of the gospel. Now, the depth of the gospel is the, the story of us as God and man and how we respond to him. As a matter of fact, simply put like this, what does this relationship with God really mean to me? How does me having a relationship with God affect my life? And as we call the breadth of the gospel the gospel in the air, we call the depth of the gospel the gospel on the ground. And so when we look at the breath, the gospel in the air, and the depth, we see the cross. 
And at the cross, we're able to see where God's plan and our existence collides. So follow me for a moment. As we talk about this meta-narrative and as we talk about the gospel and the good news, what we have to understand is something that he made very clear last week. He said, because you are a Christian, you are different. Let me say it again. Because you are a Christian, a Christ follower, a disciple, one who ascribes to the lordship of Jesus Christ, you are different. I need you to do something for me in the room and even online if you have somebody with you. I need you to look at your neighbor and say, I'm different. Look at them. Keep looking at them. Say it one more time. Say, yeah, I'm different. Pull up to the church with my hands lifted. Say, I'm different. And as we understand that we are different, what this does is that it actually makes us operate differently. Now, now how are you different? You're different because as a Christian, you see from a different worldview. As a Christian, you see from a different place. When everyone else is looking at despair, when they're looking at fear, when they're looking at gas prices actually trying to take them out, you're able to say, yes, I might have to pay that same bill, but I see it a little different. What Pastor Johnson said is that when you become a Christian, you looked at things differently. What he said was that we put on different lens. <laughs> Stay with me now. Stay with me. <laughs> Stay with me. That beautiful woman on the front row right here. Listen, listen. The reason even Pastor Johnson brought this up, he said, as Christians, we put on a different lens. As Christians, we may be seeing the same things that people that don't believe see, but we see it a little bit differently. We see it through the victory of Christ. We see it through the redemption of God. We see it through the fact that we already have the victory, and we're just walking through the history of our victory. And so as we look at this, here it is. The world might see pessimism, but you see optimism. The world may see fear, but you say, I stand in faith. And so as we look at this, this whole worldview, this, this gospel perspective, this gospel framing allows us to dig into these three words, our God reigns. Our God reigns. When you're faced with trouble, you're able to confess and say, my God reigns. When I'm diagnosed with a sickness that facts may be saying something, I say the truth is my God reigns. When my bank account might be looking a little bit low and I'm waiting for that contract to hit the bill, our God reigns. And so as we receive this and understand this gospel perspective, this is the first major point that I want to give you, and it's really in tune with what I'm saying right now, is that the frame in which you see God will determine the depths in which you will experience him. Let me slow it down for a moment because I don't want us to run past this. I need us to see this because your perspective changes everything. What I said was that the frame, the way you see, the worldview, the way you see God will actually determine the depths in which you experience him. And so as we look at this, here it is. When you understand the depth of the gospel, it shifts you. It allows you to operate differently. Check this out. In 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, verse 4, chapter 15, verse 1, it says this. This is Paul speaking to the church. He's talking about the fact that they already have received the gospel, and he's reminding them about some things. He says this, now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you have received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Let me slow it down, because that's three distinctions right there. He says, I'm reminding you of something. 
the gospel in which you received, in which you now stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. Now, here's the second major point that I want to make. I need you to hear this even from this scripture is this. The sacrifice of Jesus was not simply to forgive you of your past. That's an important part, but it wasn't simply to forgive you of your past. It was also to affect your present and to radically shape your future. Can I say it one more time for you? The sacrifice of Jesus, it wasn't simply just to forgive you of your sins. It was to forgive you of your past. It was also to affect your future right now and to radically shape your future. What Paul says when he says, our God reigns, he's saying a few things right here. He's saying, yes, you have received this, so you need to not forget that you were forgiven. But he's also saying right here in this present moment, I need to remind you because maybe you might forget. You might be a little holier than thou. You might start to dig into your own self-righteousness. You might start to think that because I'm now saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit, that I can't do any wrong. But Paul is saying, don't forget where you came from. But while he doesn't want you to forget where you came from, he's saying right here in this present moment, there's a truth that has to be alive to you right now. But he doesn't stop there. He says, by which you are also being saved. He says, this will affect your future. So my question to you is, what will you do in response to this truth? See, it's not just enough for us to have a Christian bumper sticker, to have a a Christian quote on our IG, and just to kind of quote scriptures here and there. We have to respond to the word that we say we believe. And this is important because here it is. If we're not careful, what we'll do in hopes of trying to make the gospel culturally relevant, we'll minimize the gravity of who God is and what he has sacrificed for us. What do I mean? Let me me say it like this. It's possible for you to get lulled to sleep because someone wants to make the gospel sound good and acceptable right now and not offend you because of truth. Now, Pastor Johnson said this. He said, the gospel is offensive all in itself, but make sure you're getting offended for the right things. We don't want to be offending people because we're not really representing the gospel in the right way. We want to operate in love. We want to operate in truth. And so, again, it is very easy to kind of just be lulled to sleep because of a contemporary approach. Let me say it like this. How many of you guys remember this song? We fall down. But we get up, we fall down, but we get up. It goes on to say, but a saint is just a sinner who fell down. Y'all remember the song. (laughs) Listen, I love Donnie McClurkin's music. It's brought me through some tough times. I love how in my lostness it provided hope to me. I love that how when I first came into an encounter with God, it provided hope with me and made me say, okay, I can get up from this place of despair. But let me let you know this. It will be an indictment to us as the body of Christ if we stop at the truth of just the fact that we were just a sinner that just got up. Yes, there is truth that a saint is turned into, a sinner is turned into a saint because we got up, but we didn't get up on our own. And so what we have to be careful of is that when we sing songs like that, even though it's not the intent of the song, when we sing songs like that, we can have an incomplete truth of the gospel. 
we can start to think that we can pull ourselves up, that we can just make a decision all of a sudden. But let me let you know this. It is the goodness of God that causes us to repentance. See, you wouldn't even have known that you needed repentance if it wasn't for the goodness of God showing you his grace and showing you his mercy. And so what we have to do is we have to make sure that we don't just stop at the A clause. We have to finish the verse. We have to continue to move forward and say, yes, I need to make a decision, but I only can do that because of what Jesus has already done for me. Amen? So here it is. We have to get the right perspective on this because the reality is all of us were dead. Each and every one of us, we were dead in our sins. But now we get an opportunity to experience this wonderful, amazing, beautiful God that wants fellowship with us. Let me read this scripture. It's Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Many of you have heard it, but it says this. It says, for all have sinned. Somebody say all. Before I move another step further, put your hand up in the air right now. You, 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 me, we all have sinned. We got that settled? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. That means you didn't earn it. You didn't make the right turn. You didn't step into the right organization. You didn't meet the right person. It was a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And so as we look at this scripture, what we see is that the fullness of the gospel is us understanding that because of the fall of Adam, we were all set back. Now, some of y'all are like, you know, Adam and Eve. No, let me, let me give you a little commercial brought to you by Jesus Christ. It was Adam's responsibility to cover Eve. Eve might have brought the fruit to him, but he had a decision to actually do the right thing for his family. Men in the house, let me say this one more time. Your wife can say a lot of things. She can do a lot of things. She can do all types of things. But it's your responsibility to lovingly wash her in the word, to bring her in the admonition of, the God, of God, to lead her in a way that's worthy of following so that when she sees you, she sees God. I'm going to stop meddling right now. Y'all like, move on, move on. But seriously, hear me, hear me. Princeton theologian B.B. Warfield, he said it this way as he talks about the fact that we have to be dependent on God. He said this, there is nothing in us or done by us at any stage of our earthly development because of which we are acceptable to God. We must always be accepted for Christ's sake or we cannot ever be accepted at all. This is not true of us only when we believe. It is just as true after we have believed. It will continue to be true as long as we live. It goes on to say, our need of Christ does not cease with our believing, nor does the nature of our relation to him or God through him ever alter, no matter what our attainments in Christian graces or achievements in behavior may be. Hear this last part. It is always on his blood and righteousness alone that we can rest. You hear people saying, on God. On God, you have to understand that no matter how much you do, no matter how righteous you feel, it's on God. It was on God that gave us the opportunity to enter into this grace, and we have to believe it, and we have to know it. Now, I need to get a lean in because it's been a few weeks that I've preached to y'all, and I need to kind of see where the, where the heart is in the house. Come on, lean in with me real quick. I need you to brace yourself for this one. I need you to, come on, lean in. I have an announcement for you. L- listen to this. You should go to hell. 
Yeah. Listen, 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 lean, lean in. As a matter of fact, you deserve to go to hell. You don't just deserve to go. I, I deserve to go to hell. All of us deserve to go to hell. But what I thank God for is that he didn't end the story right there. I thank God that when you keep reading the Bible, while we are those who deserve to go to hell, we see as we read the scriptures, but God. But God who was rich in mercy. But God who saw me better than I can see myself. But God who knew that I was going to mess up and still sent his only son to die on the cross for me. Somebody say, but God. As we understand that we deserve it, that all of us had this opportunity to go to hell, we get this gratitude, or we should get this grat- gratitude to really fully grasp the depth of the gospel. And so I need you to go with me for a moment because, again, I'm not a preacher or a pastor that just wants you to, to jump and shout. I need you to understand. I need that after you leave here, you still have the victory, that the victory doesn't fall off of you once you get down on a, a how mill. So if you have not downloaded the Version Bible app, do it right now, save it, because there are several scriptures that I want to give you. I need you to walk with me for a minute as I teach for a moment. Is that okay? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it's recorded where sin was introduced to the world. And as we look at this, Adam and Eve, they were walking in direct fellowship with God. They had a connection with God. They were walking with him in the cool of the Eve, and they had no separation between them. But right there, what happened is that sin entered in, and sin was costly. They rebelled against him. Even though they knew what to do, he was very clear on what to do, but sin cost. Somebody say sin cost. Romans 6.23 says it like this, for the wages of sin is death. The cost of sin is death. See, we don't talk about sin that much more in church because we don't want to offend people. But how many of you know if you keep sinning, it's going to catch up to you? Somebody might not see it right now, but the the principle of seed time and harvest never lies. And so though I might not be able to see you, God sees you. Though that job might not be able to see you kind of shaving the numbers, God sees you. And so what we have to know is that the wages of sin is death, but I'm glad that it didn't stop there because right here what happened to them is that they died. They didn't die physically, but they did die spiritually. There was a separation that made them die spiritually. But again, we are so graced by God that right here what he did is that he started to foreshadow, meaning he kind of gave us signs of what it would mean for us to come back in full relationship with him. He foreshadowed it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. The Bible says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Write this down. Really simple. Sin equals death. I'm going to move on in a minute, but I need us to get this. Sin equals death. And the reason I'm taking a little bit of time on this is because sometimes we forget. Sometimes we come in church and act like God is doing us a favor. Sin equals death. But what happens right here in this moment is that God, he covers them instead of killing them. He gives them grace. And right here, we start to see the pattern of God of justice, that when you actually sin, the only way that forgiveness can be uh, given is that something has to die. Something has to bleed. And right here, what we see is that God, he went and took animals and made them bleed in place of Adam and Eve. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it simply says this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And we see over and over again 
throughout the Old Testament that something died for sin. This became the law. This became the pattern. But what we see is that we should have a reverence and an appreciation for God because we didn't have to be the ones who bled for our own sins. Can we, can we just pause right there for a moment and take that in? That yes, you did what you did, but God didn't make you bleed for what you did? Yes, you have all the Bible stories. Yes, your parents told you what not to do. Some of us, you actually heard from God in the spirit, and we still did it. But he didn't make us bleed for it. So I'm thankful that we have a God who has supernatural patience for us. He's a God that even though he sees you going down a road, he still has patience enough for you and loves you enough to say, hey, come back here. Come back home. Have you ever been with somebody that you know that they're kind of going down the wrong path and you are patiently trying to, like, get them to come off that wrong path? As I'm looking around, some of y'all are like, they're sitting right next to me, so, you know, I'm hoping, I'm trying. But we all have an opportunity to make sure that we get on the right track with God. Hear this, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. This is God and his patience. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's extraordinarily patient with all of us. What we see here is that as this continues to go, as we continue to teach and understand this, he wanted to make sure that the Hebrew people were liberated. And before he did that, he had to set the tone. He had to set the tone with Pharaoh. He had to set the tone with Egypt. And what happened is that when he was actually getting ready to liberate those people, there was a time where a plague came, where the angel of death was getting ready to come. And he gave them insight. Here's the insight. Exodus 12, 13. He says, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. He gave them instructions to take a spotless lamb, take a lamb, kill it, make it bleed, and put this blood over their doorposts. The reason he did this, he said, because death is coming your way, but blood shields you. Blood covers you. I don't know about you, but I've done some things that I know it was only the shielding and the covering of God that made me still be able to be here today. And so as God continues to do this over and over and over again, He allows his judgment to pass over this people. But then later, God establishes a temporal sacrifice system right there where there was a a priest that would go and actually sacrifice for the people of that town. Then there was something instituted called Yom Kippur. It was the Day of Atonement. And this is where the high priest, again, the leader of that particular place, he would go in on their behalf, being clean, being righteous, being sanctified, set apart, and go in on behalf of the city to actually offer sacrifices up for the people. But let me let you know something. Let me give you a little bit of insight. When we hear that word atonement, it actually comes from the root of a Latin word that actually is broken down, at one meant. At one minute. It means I'm bringing unity back to myself through atonement, through the forgiveness, through the covering of sin. At one minute, at one time you were away from me, but right now I'm bringing at one minute so you can come back with me. And so as we understand this, what we know is that with all of these sacrifices, we thank God for these opportunities to be forgiven. But in all those times, the sacrifices only covered the blood. It only covered the sins. It only gave them temporary relief. But what we see is that God said, I'm not satisfied with temporary relief. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says it like this. Hear this. It says, all those things happen, 
But when the set time, somebody say set time. When the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. See, what we see right here is that all these other things, they were good temporary solutions, but God is like, I need to set the time right now. You've tried the rest, now I'm going to give you my best. You've done some things that have tried to give you this temporary relief, but I so want relationship with you. At this time, I'm going to do and make a sacrifice for you that nobody else can compare to. And so for all those years, God was just giving us a preview of who he was and how he wanted to redeem, but now we're able to really walk in the fullness of our relationship with him. Now, we shift gears into the New Testament, and John the Baptist, he comes on the scene. John the Baptist, remember, keep this in your mind, we had to get a spotless lamb before to actually get the forgiveness of sins. But John the Baptist's first announcement when he came on the scene, he said this in chapter 1, verse 29. Behold, somebody say behold. Behold means look. Open your eyes. Wake up. You need to pay attention to this right now. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is here. Again, you've tried everything else, but now is the time for you to get the real deal. And so Jesus, he comes in incarnate form. That means God in flesh. He came right here on earth to make sure that we're able to have that forgiveness as he sacrificed himself as the Lamb of God. And so when we look at this, what Jesus is actually saying and what John is saying is that Jesus is here now to bleed in your place. Where you used to have to be the one to be punished, God is saying, I've sent my only begotten son to be one who replaces your sin. And what I'm excited about is that we see right here that God loved us so much. I want y'all to put this in very practical terms. If you had a kid, if you had a son, if you had a daughter, and you see people that don't care, they're living wild, and somebody asks you, hey, send your son over here to die so that these people can actually live. You'd be like, no, we're not. See, sometimes we read the Bible, we're just like, oh, God was supposed to do that. There was agony in him sending his son. He was his only begotten son. I think about my only begotten son. There's no way in heaven. PG crowd. There's no way in heaven that I'm sending my son for somebody that I don't know how I can count on their results. And so as we look at this, here it is. It reminds me of even a time in my life. I'm, I'm the oldest of like six siblings. And I remember all the time when I was younger, I had this one particular moment where my younger brother, he was just acting a fool, y'all. It, it seemed like he was possessed with something. He, he didn't have any awareness of the repercussions and the things that were going to happen after this moment. And I remember because I was raised in a family uh, with a mother who believed in not sparing the rod, that when we got home, my mom, she was getting ready to beat the brakes off of him in love. But what I remember in this moment is I saw him and I knew he had done what he was getting ready to get punished for. I knew he was guilty of everything, but I remember, as I think back right now, I remember being an older brother and looking at him and saying, I'm a little stronger than him. I'm a little bigger than him. I think I can take this a little stronger. And I told my mom, I said, don't whoop him, whoop me instead. Now, I've gotten a little older. I've gotten a little wiser. And as I look back and even still see how he still wants to do certain things, I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> but in that moment, that's what happened. And what I'm reminded of is even as we read the scriptures, you have an elder brother, and his name is Jesus. 
You have an elder brother who looks at you knowing that you did what they said you did. You have an elder brother that knows that you should not really be given relief. You have an elder brother that knows you are supposed to get the actual retribution for what you did. But he says, move out the way. He says, move out the way. I want to be your elder brother that takes the whooping on your behalf. That provides you with health and wholeness. Somebody say, thank God for the elder brother whose name is Jesus. So as we look at this again, I have to make this real to us so that we don't just look at this as a Bible story, but that we look at this as truth. Now, Jesus met every requirement for us so that we can be forgiven. And as we look at Romans chapter 8, verse 3, it says this. Watch this. It says, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is what we call, and I want you to write this down, it's in your notes, penal substitutionary atonement. Penal substitutionary atonement. Meaning that there was a penalty that was actually warranted. But Jesus came and substituted himself so that we can become at one with God. There was an issue that was there that you were supposed to get the results of, but God said, nope, I'm going to step in on your behalf, and I'm going to substitute my son for your sin. You see it on the screen, penal substitutionary atonement. It means that Jesus was voluntarily punished in our place to satisfy the wrath of God against sin. So God can justly forgive. Restoring relationship between God and mankind. See, I love the fact that the mercy of God and our results collided in this moment, and he gives us his grace. And right here, what we see is that as we go through the death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, Jesus said the most, three, most powerful three words you can ever hear in the English language. He said, it is finished. Some people say it like this, it is accomplished. What he's saying is that I have gone down, I have died, I was buried, I went down and I got the keys to hell and the grave, and now I'm coming back and I'm saying, it is finished. On their behalf, no matter what they do, I don't care if they sin today or tomorrow, it is finished. And so as we look at this, God is not just wanting us to celebrate the death. There were good things in the death. He doesn't want to just have us celebrate the burial. He really wants us to focus on the power that's present with us celebrating the resurrection. And so as we get this, as we grab this, we won't live an incomplete gospel. The awe of God can come back to us because we understand that we didn't deserve what we're getting, but we are blessed to walk in it. Revelation 1, chapter 18, it says it like this. This is Jesus. He says, I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Everybody likes to walk around talking about, I got the keys, the keys, the keys. Jesus was the first one with the keys, the keys, the keys. And he still has the keys. He has the keys to your healing. He has the keys to your freedom. He has the keys to your peace. He has the keys to your relationship coming back in order. He has the keys to even your finances getting back on track. He has the keys that when you have been diagnosed, people are saying that there are facts, but the keys say the truth is that you are healed in Jesus' name. Somebody say, he has the keys. So as we understand that he has the keys, here it is. It's the resurrection for me, y'all. 
It's, it's the resurrection for me. Why am I putting so much focus on us talking about the resurrection today? It's because the resurrection proves that every claim that Jesus made was true. The resurrection proves that because he was raised from the dead, that we can live in victory also. The resurrection proves and it speaks to the fact that his power was not just for yesterday, but it's present right here today. And not only is it present, it's available to you. It's available to me. It's available to all of us. And so as we look at this and we start to just really dig into this truth again, I told you I just wanted to kind of teach some things today because we need to grab this as truth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, it says this. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. I can just pause right there. Because even as Pastor Tad talked earlier, if we don't really believe in the resurrection of Christ, what we do is we just come in here and have a good Holy Ghost party. We just come in here and just waste a few hours because it would be useless. But the Bible goes on to say, more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For if we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him, in fact, from the dead, we are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Here's the part that I really want you to grab. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That means you still haven't been forgiven. You've just been marking time, still on your way to hell. And so as we grab this again, the depth of the gospel means this, that he worked on my past, he's alive in my present, and he's shaping my future. We're affected by this, and I want to show show you how we're affected by giving this truth. And actually, we'll see ourselves even in this scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, I told you, I want to give you this truth. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual, immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Can I pause for a moment? Did you see yourself in that scripture? I saw myself in the scripture. But what I'm thankful for is that it continues to go on. It says, and that some, that some were some of you. That means some of us were that. But watch this. You were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. Remember what I said. The frame in which you see God will determine the depths in which you experience him. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad about the death, burial, and the resurrection because it makes me experience him in a few ways, and I want to share these ways with you. The way that this experience really affects me is that this resurrection washes us, which means it's not just a little wipe me down, a little cleansing. This is a once and for all forgiveness that everything I did and will do is paid for. Somebody ought to give God praise for that. Listen, it just doesn't wash us. It sanctifies us, which means that when you're sanctified, you're made pure, clean, holy, and you are set apart for a purpose. It doesn't stop right there. He justifies us, which means it is just as if I never sinned. See, God just doesn't just say, okay, just put that over there. He chooses to forget what you did because you are not washed in the blood of Jesus. Somebody say amen to that. He doesn't just justify us. He gives us new life. That now you're born again. Now the things that were in your past, you don't have to be held to those things anymore. You are a new creation, a holy nature, one who is called apart for him, himself. 
he doesn't stop there. He reconciles us. And as he reconciles us, what he's saying is that he has given us this ministry of reconciliation. That we have now, where all these things could only give us a partial forgiveness, he's saying, now you can come back to me and be in fellowship with me. The way Adam and Eve walked with me in the cool of the day, I want to do that with you right now here in Midtown Atlanta. But he does not stop there. He, he reconciles us, then he adopts us. He adopts us, and now he says that you are no longer an orphan. You are no longer a slave to fear. You're no longer by yourself. Look around, look around, look around, look around. You have a family of God with you. You don't have to do this thing by yourself, but he does not stop there. He redeems us. He redeems us. He says, the old way that you used to live, that was empty. But now I want to give retribution for everything that you gave up. I said, I'm coming right now to make all things new. We need to give God praise because he said, I'm going to make all things new. But wait, there's more. He protects us, which means for some of us who felt like we were out there all by ourselves and we walk in fear and we walk in stress and we're looking over our shoulder, he's saying, you don't have to be the one who's a slave to fear anymore. I'm protecting you. My blood will cover you. My blood will shield you. My blood will allow you to know that I am with you. But he also fills us with his peace. And as he fills us with his peace, we have to know that because we see with the right worldview, when the world is stressed out, we're able to say, our God reigns. When everyone else is freaking out saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. This job has not called me back yet. I've made 20 applications in this last two days, and I don't know what I'm going to do and how I'm going to pay my rent. God is saying, I got you. I'm protecting you. I'm giving you peace. Even if the circumstance doesn't change, the peace on the inside of you has to be one. But the greatest thing that I love that he does with all these things that he gives us eternal life. Because with Jesus, we have to know this is good news that we will never die. That though our bodies may fall, though our bodies may fade away, we have a heavenly hope knowing that even when we leave here to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. And so as we grab this, here it is, Romans 6, 23. I said it before, it says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our worldview has to change. Our worldview has to be known that now we have the victory. And that gives us the strength to be able to say this scripture again with power and authority. Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel of righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. Watch this. The righteous will live by faith. As soon as I hear that, what kind of faith and in what faith will we live by? It's the faith that my past is settled, my present is settled, and my future is settled. And here it is. I need you to take this, save it, download it, state it for yourself again today because with all these things that we talk about the depth of the gospel, here's the declaration of truth that I want to end with. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54. It says, when we know the victory we have, we're able to say this, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Somebody say, thanks be to God. 
Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I'm going to say it again. Be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. I got to say it one more time for this side of the room. Be steadfast, meaning you can't be swayed with circumstances. Be immovable, making sure that you're present on the solid ground of Christ, always moving forward, taking one step at a time, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. See, I said this at the beginning of the message. I want us to get a real understanding of who God is because when we do that, when we have the depth of the gospel, we're able to now have a response, which is our worship. When we really know that God did something that we couldn't do for ourselves, our response is now that with my hands lifted, I'm saying, God, I know I couldn't do it on my own. And so as we even sung this song earlier, what a beautiful name. I want to just declare these words over your life because this really accentuates who God is. The the song says this, death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and the grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. You have no rival. Somebody say, you have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What a powerful name it is. I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking about what a powerful name is the name of Jesus. What a beautiful name is the name of Jesus. Can somebody stand on your feet and start to celebrate the beautiful name that we have in Jesus? The depth of the gospel makes us respond that what a powerful name is the name of Jesus. I'm not talking about this for you. I'm talking about for myself right now. I have to praise God because I know where I came from. I know what he saved me from. I know that he stepped into my place when I should have got the results. It's the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. See, we're getting ready to respond to God in a moment. But before we respond together in concert, no matter how that looks for you, I want to take a moment. I want to pray for some people because for some of us, we just saw God in a refreshing way that we've kind of forgot about. We've kind of taken for granted. And so before I pray for those people, I want to pray for some people in here that this may be your first time hearing the gospel. This may be your first time hearing the sacrifice of what Jesus did to make sure that you're able to have fellowship with God. And so I want you to bow your heads for a moment. I want you to bow your heads for a moment. If you're in this room and you heard this good news, this gospel truth for the first time, or you heard it and you said, God, I have not really been in relationship with you and I want to come into relationship with you through Jesus. Put your hand up in the air for me right now. I see hands all over the room. If you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior right now, Put that hand up in the air. I see you can put your hands down. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you right now that as we stand in awe of your presence because of the depth of the gospel, what we say right now in concert for those of us who want to enter into a relationship with you is that, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I thank you. I'm deciding right now that I no longer want to live in the way that I've lived before that I'm accepting your sacrifice, that I'm turning from my old way and I'm taking steps into your way. Holy Spirit, 
I invite you to do a work in my life. I invite you to change me, to make me new again. And I declare that today I am living for you. Father, I thank you for every person who even made that decision right now, both in the room and online. And I declare that we will walk in the victory because you have given us the victory. And Lord, I also pray for those in this room that we will all see and encounter the awe that comes with who you are, that we will never take for granted your sacrifice, that we will never take for granted that you sent your only begotten son to die on the cross for us, that we will never take for granted that there was sacrifice and agony and blood shed so that we can have life and life more abundantly. Father, we give you praise. 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 Let's worship the king. Let's worship the king. Let's worship the king. However you need to worship him, let's worship the king. Yes, Lord. declaring the power of God and I just felt this for a moment there are some of us even here about the depth of the gospel and you have something in your life going on that looks insurmountable 
And as Drea was ministering earlier, as she was leading that song and she started talking about the powerful name of Jesus, I felt like something was breaking in the atmosphere. And I think before we leave here right now in this day, we need to just exalt that just for a moment. We need to take a moment and declare the powerful, powerful, powerful name of Jesus. So for a moment, Tim, can you just go back into that for a minute? I want you just to minister that because I believe chains are going to be broken. I believe deliverance is going to happen. I believe healing is going to take forward. And I need you just to engage and take hold of this gospel. Associate and appropriate the gospel right now. Come on, let's lift it up.